WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. We are just about two weeks out from the Republican National Convention, and we are still learning a little bit more about what the RNC may look like here in Charlotte. We're going to talk about it coming up a little bit later in the show. Plus, major news from the Census Bureau. They say they'll stop collecting data one month earlier. What that means for groups often left marginalized anyway. And it's the last week for parents and students to prepare to head back to school, even if that school is once again just their dining room table. Joining me today to talk about all of it, Republican strategist Larry Shaheen and Democratic strategist Douglas Wilson. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining us. We'll start mm -hmm. off with uh, COVID-19 and schools because districts in our area have different plans, but almost all include at least some type of virtual learning. Numbers in North Carolina starting to trend in the right direction, but with schools starting back up, officials worried about a possible spike yet again. Uh, Douglas Wilson, I'll start with you. H how do you feel about how, how the state is approaching this, how local districts are approaching this, not only on a, on a, on a school level, but also uh, our trends overall? Yeah. Well, Ben, it's good to see you again. Um, I think that the state is doing a pretty good job on this. I think the governor has shown leadership and working with the school districts to make sure that school districts have the proper PPE needed um, so that teachers are protected and also gave um, school districts the flexibility to decide if they want to do or remote learning or if they want to do uh, in-person learning. Of course, you know the risk is still there. Um, we have to make sure that our teachers are protected and our students are protected in any way possible, um, especially when, we're, when we have school buses that's going to be running, cafeteria workers that's going to be working, janitors. And of course, the biggest thing we have to make sure that we have is broadband technology. We need to make sure that our kids in the rural areas of our state even in parts of Mecklenburg County here, have access to good broadband so they can still learn. Uh, Larry Shaheen, President Trump has been pretty adamant that he wants to see students back in the classrooms uh, no matter what, despite what some of his uh, experts tell him. What, what do you think? Well, I think we need a balanced approach, which I think is always going to be the necessary answer for just about every situation that we've had come up the last couple of months. But, you know, I heard a really great example out of Greenville Spartanburg. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this approach. This is actually really genius. What they're doing is they've closed the middle and high schools and they've sent those guys home for virtual learning. And in place, they're using the high schools and middle schools to help distance learn and keep social distance for elementary school, which is that age group where which parents are most desperately need their kids to actually be able to learn and are most beneficial to in-person learning. I think we need to be a lot more imaginative about these solutions. We need to be more creative about how we approach it. I do think the governor did a good job giving flexibility to all of the uh, different for school districts to be able to do what they think is necessary. But I think that the school districts needed to be more imaginative themselves. I'd love to see Charlotte Mecklenburg take, you know, that type of approach that Greenville Spartanburg took because that's what is most needed for folks, our most at-risk communities. Schools don't just teach kids at that age level, especially here in Mecklenburg County. Our most vulnerable populations desperately need to be able to get to the schools, not just for meals, but not just for, for opportunity. But, but this is the only way in which individuals are able to rise in our societies through education. And I think that in-person learning at the education, the elementary level, is so important. I would almost say that those, those age groups need to be protected and make sure that you create a, a bubble almost, kind of like what the NBA has done for those age groups, and then let them middle and high school kids stay at home and distance learn. But again, 
we have to find ways to come together and overcome. Education is a nonpartisan issue. Being able to get kids into school should be a nonpartisan issue, but we need to be safe about it. We have to make sure that we keep in mind the safety of every individual because this, this virus attacks everybody. It doesn't matter what party you are. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. It's going to take you down. And at the end of the day, if we don't come together as a country to, to find ways to overcome this and stop being so partisan, it's going to eat us up. And to that point, I want to show you some new polling that came out this past week. It takes a look at who tr who people trust when it comes to the pandemic. And according to the latest NBC News Survey Monkey poll, uh, weekly tracking poll, just 31 percent of people say they trust President Trump uh, and his comments on this. 51 percent say they trust Dr. Fauci's statements. 55 percent say they trust the CDC. Uh, with so much distrust, um, how do we possibly come together and, and fight a pandemic unlike we've seen in a hundred years, Douglas. Yeah, I think that um, uh, what, you, what you're seeing is that the administration, like um, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, coming out and giving, you know, data that shows where we are uh, as a country when it comes to the coronavirus. And the president will then come out and say something totally different. So there, there are mixed messages coming out where you have the president of the United States saying one thing, but then Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci and the other members of the task force saying another thing. Um, I agree with Larry. I think this has to be a nonpartisan issue. Uh, coronavirus, coronavirus is real. Um, we're at the point right now that people in America are going to start to say that they know someone or they have someone that they love that has had coronavirus or unfortunately that has died from it. So, you know, this is a serious, serious disease and we need all sides, everybody to be on one accord. We cannot play politics with this because, you know, I mean, I know people that have had it. I've had a family member that's already passed away from it. So we have to make sure that we are fighting this seriously. Speaking, speaking of uh, sort of coming together, just frustrated at this point by a lack of federal leadership, governors across the country trying to forge their own de facto national coronavirus testing program without the White House's help. The seven state effort includes North Carolina led by governors, both parties. The governor's looking to work with the Rockefeller Foundation and buy more than three million antigen tests, buy in bulk, of course, that, that has power. The test can deliver results in 20, 15 to 20 minutes. The governor's aim to recruit even more states. Larry, can I ask you, can you be a, 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 a big fan of this president and, and his judges um, and the tax cuts, but also say, hey, we need more effective governance at the federal level? Well, here's the, here's the thing that I would say. Initially, what, what, what I think happened was that, and I will go ahead and say, I think that a, a lot of folks in my, on my side of the aisle did not take this seriously. And they thought it was just going to be something like the flu. Well, let's be really honest. I'm going to speak directly to members of my party. It's not. And frankly, it's really irresponsible for any member of my party to think that this is a hoax or some type of political scam. Frankly, I have to tell you that, that from personal experience, this is a very real thing. And it affects, it affects a lot of people. And I think that to, for folks to discount it at this point is a little bit irresponsible. And we need to take it more seriously. And I think that that, that has started to happen. You know, President Trump came to North Carolina last week to visit Mooresville to see the vaccine uh, work that's being done there. There has been so much money 
spent on vaccines and, and, and ways to be able to create new tests. And I think that the way that you see the merging of, of private industry and public interest and the ability for folks to be able to come together to do that kind of work. I mean, here in North Carolina, I can think about $200 million that was just distributed from the General Assembly to Wake Forest, Duke Health uh, Atrium, to all of these medical schools to help try and find vaccines. You know, that's federal leadership. I think that's an example of federal leadership. Do I wish that the president had taken this more seriously from the beginning, kind of taken on that that role that we saw, uh, you know, President Eisenhower do with, with transportation, you know, President Roosevelt do in, in the Great Depression. Do I wish he had taken more of a leadership role in, in having folks be responsible and taking this seriously? Yes, I do. But you know what? At the end of the day, I think that he's doing the best he can. And one of the things that I think is absolutely most important is the fact that Congress moved quickly. You know, people want to talk about how, uh, you know, federal leadership is not. Well, let's talk about that. The PPP program saved over 30 percent of, of jobs, small businesses in this country. That report was in the Business Journal just last week. There has been federal leadership. What I think needs to happen is there needs to be more empathy on both sides. The left needs to stop slamming everybody trying to lead with finding ways to make it political. And the right needs to stop saying that this isn't real and they have to take it seriously. And when they have empathy for individuals who are ill, that's when we'll start coming together when we start singing on the same message. But, Larry, I would say a lot of folks would argue empathy's got to start at the top. Oh, I agree completely. I think that that's one thing that the president needs to get better at. He needs to stop. Whoever is running his Twitter account needs to get fired. And if it's him, he needs to put it down. And the last thing I want my president doing is slamming individuals in a time of national crisis. Please, somebody in the administration, if you're listening, stop tweeting what you're tweeting and start being positive. Uh, we're going to get to a lot more stuff. Uh, we got to take a break. Uh, we're going to talk about the census. They're cutting it off earlier than expected. Of course, that has serious ramifications for, for a lot of marginalized groups out there. Also talk about absentee ballot uh, voting. We talked about it last week. It's going to be a big thing in the, in the months to come. Stay with us. We're really desperate. Local business owner Craig Ray applied for a government loan to keep his business going. But when his request got stalled, Craig contacted the defenders and asked, where's the money? I know that after you contacted them, things moved pretty fast. Just glad we could help you. If you're asking where's the money and feeling financial pressure, the WCNC Charlotte Defenders are here to help. Email us at thedefenders at WCNC.com. We're there to get you answers to where's the money, only on WCNC Charlotte. Welcome back to Flashpoint. The U.S. Census Bureau will stop collecting data a month earlier than expected. The Bureau says field data collection will stop uh, September 30th to meet an end-of-the-year deadline to turn in the numbers. Data collection had originally been set to end in October. The Bureau says it's working to figure out how to comply at the same time with the president's memorandums directing undocumented immigrants to be counted in the 2020 census. Uh, Douglas Wilson, uh, Help us understand if this is the census and we really want everyone to be counted um, yeah. and, and for my understanding, Congress wouldn't extend this any further. The folks at the census wanted to, but Congress didn't agree mm -hmm. to um, this. This could very, very easily leave out a lot of groups out there. Yes, it can. Um, I think that that the census collection needs to be extended. I mean, we are in a pandemic, the worst pandemic in over 100 years. The census shouldn't be political. Unfortunately, it has become political. Really, it's about making sure that communities are getting the proper resources that they need, particular marginalized communities. If the census is not counted properly, then resources will not be allocated properly. So this has to be taken seriously. We need to make sure that the census has the time that they need to collect the data. Uh, Larry Shaheen, do you think the, the undocumented uh, immigrants 
immigrants should be counted or not in this in this census? Uh, I, I think we need to count them. I think we just need to count them and keep them as what they are, undocumented immigrants. Then there needs to be an intelligent political discussion about whether or not that goes into apportionment. Not counting them is not right because we need to know exactly how many folks there are in the census. The whole point of the census is to be accurate. But I'm gonna go back to something that Doug said real quick, you know, after dealing with that. I agree with him. We need to come together as, as a country. Let's remember, we have divided leadership in Congress. It's Democrats in the House, Republicans in the Senate. We need everybody to kind of get a single bill out and says, okay, look, we may not be able to agree on all these different things we're gonna do for the stimulus, but dear dear Lord, we, we have to count everybody. This is something that has to get done. So I, I, call, on, I, I call on Leader McConnell and Speaker Pelosi, come together. All right, let's get this bill done. Here's the money. Go do what you need to do, and let's keep counting. I, I absolutely think that's a no-brainer, and I think that's something that, again, if we if we had some clear-headed nonpartisan and we weren't in an election year, not 90 days from an election, I think it'd probably be a lot easier. But you know, it takes a certain amount of courage uh, for somebody to be able to look at both the ardent, ardent left and the ardent, ardent right and say, "Please, God, shut up." Just shut up. I don't want to hear anything you have to say. We need to govern this country. And to govern this country, we have to count this country. And we have to know where, know how many folks are here so we can properly get resources into communities that most desperately need. I'm talking about absentee ballots because, as we said last week here on Flashpoint, a record number of them uh, already um, being asked for. And the request that you first ask for on the website, you ask for that form, and then they send you the ballot later on. Republicans point to New York's primary as an example of why they won't work. Almost seven weeks after the primary, a winner still not announced in some races. The reason 10 times more New Yorkers requested absentee ballots than did four years ago. Another reason, 33,000 ballots were only mailed out to voters the day before the election day meaning they would never make it back in time. Experts say we have about two weeks left to make the critical decisions that are necessary to pull off this election. Um, Larry, Larry, I go back to what we talked about in the, in the first, uh, in first segment about effective leadership. We, we are still months out from this election. There's no reason why in the greatest country on earth, we can't do this, do it correctly, do it efficiently. Yeah and still let people do it if they don't want to go to their local uh, ballot station. But instead, I just feel like people are just saying it's bad and that's it. Well, th th that's exactly right. People are just saying it's bad and that's it. But I will tell you here in North Carolina specifically, let's go through the absentee process. You can request an absentee ballot up until a period of time before the election. You can mail your absentee ballot up until the very last moment of election day. And then I think it's 10 days. You have 10 days for that for that absentee ballot to get in. I think North Carolina is actually a model for the country. And I have to tell you, I think a lot of the things that North Carolina does is great. I'm not a big fan of the early voting decision that the Board of Elections made because I think that that disadvantages rural communities. But, uh, you know, Ultimately, that's going to have to be decided one way or another. But what I do think is, is that anyone who wants an absentee ballot, and this, and, and this is why no excuse absentee voting exists, you don't need a reason to absentee. You can just get an absentee ballot and mail it in. I think you're going to see a rise in that. But I still think the measures of protection that we have in place need to be there. We need to make sure that there's a period of time by which you can request it so that people can get it mailed to you. And then there needs to be a period of time by which you don't count any that come in later than 10 days. That helps it for efficiency of elections, and it helps in the administration of elections. Now, Again, I'm going to have to, you know, I know you hate it when I pull the federalism card, Ben, but I got to pull that. I mean, this is not a federal issue. I do not want the federal government telling states how to run elections. So, you know, governors have to take responsibility for this and the governors have to be accountable for their electoral processes. And this has to be something that's governed on the state level. 
Uh, Douglas, the president, you, you hear the president talk, it, it sounds like he thinks that this is going to benefit Democrats, but Republicans in many states have had really solid uh, absentee mail-in voter uh, rolls going back for, for, for years and really sort of owned this for a while. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I, I can think back to countless campaigns sitting up on election night biting my nails you, you see the democrats winning because winning the early vote and you and we're always looking at two two numbers how does the election day vote look and how does that absentee vote look we know republicans always do better on absentee voting um going back to the federal issue i i think that the my my my, my biggest concern here is making sure the post office has the proper tools it needs and the funding it needs to handle this influx of absentee voting, mailing voting that's going to be taking place. Um, and I think that, you know, I know what I've been doing this. Having, we have to make sure that people are in the mindset of it's going to be an, an election day week or weeks because we have so much coming in. And going back to what happened in New York, that took a while. They want to make sure they count the ballots, make sure that they counted right, and make sure that there are no errors. So that's why it took so long in New York to count those ballots. But I really think that Congress has to make sure that the United States Postal Service, which is should be again nonpartisan. I mean, postal services in small towns is like the place for people to go to say hi to their neighbors, catch up on old, catch up on old times. Um, but we got to make sure that the post office has the resources they need. Uh, this comes after reporting this past week that 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 the new head of the. Um Post office, which is a, a, a guy well known here in North Carolina, um, had implemented some new uh, restrictions in that might slow things down. Um, it was the allegation. So, um, and listen, it's also incumbent upon us as a news organization to make sure we set expectations for our viewers and that they understand. Hey, election night might be more like election night slash week, um, and, and we've got to do a better job of making sure we set those expectations. All right. Hey, hey, hey! You're going to be upset if we can't talk about the RNC. So I've got to cut you off. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, all right. So RNC on the other side of this break. Thank you for making WCNC.com your number one choice for local TV news on your phone and in your home. And trusting us on Facebook by giving WCNC Charlotte more followers than any other local TV news source. Thanks again for making us number one. Download the WCNC Charlotte News app and find out why WCNC.com is the number one choice for local TV news on your phone and in your home. The number one local choice for TV news is WCNC.com. Download the WCNC News app today. Experience the difference. Thank you for making WCNC.com your number one choice for local TV news on your phone and in your home and on Facebook by giving WCNC Charlotte more followers than any other local TV news source. Thank you for making WCNC.com your number one choice for local TV news on your phone and in your home. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Mixed messaging with the RNC continues. We're about two weeks out now at this point. Last week, reports surfaced that the president's nomination would happen behind closed doors without the press consent present there. But then on Monday, RNC officials came out and said a final decision had been made, that press might be there. And then on Wednesday, a report from Washington Post said leaders were uh, hoping to hold the president's acceptance speech on the White House lawn. We know these things have changed literally by the week. Report says the speech would be televised uh, in either case. All right, Larry Shane, bring you back in because I know you want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> we're two weeks out from the RNC and we have no idea what this thing's going to look like. Yeah, that sounds about right for just about every single thing that's happening in our country over the last four months. Look, 
this is again where I'm going to say empathy should rule the day. We have got to be more patient with our leaders, even when they're of the opposite party, because look, I give them credit. They're still examining it and trying to find a good way to move forward. Whether now the press issue, the press should be there. Let's just not even go there. The press should absolutely be there. I think that's a that's that's a non-starter. I think that you know, with all my friends and the folks running the RNC, I'm certain that the reason the decision hasn't been announced is a lot of very smart people are looking at folks and saying, uh-uh, no, you're not gonna let them not have the press there. But ultimately the goal here is to make sure that as these folks come to Charlotte, that it's safe. And again, I understand why all these people are, oh, you can't live in fear. Well, you know what? These don't, things don't have to be mutually exclusive. You can make sure that you take all of the proper safety precautions and still allow for things to occur. So again, this is going to be an evolving process. And the key word, again, besides empathy, is going to need to be patience. And as long as there's patience and truthfulness going back and forth, I think ultimately it's going to work itself out. Douglas, you're always coming up in, what, a, a week from now? Yeah, we for now. I mean, I was just basically um, totally virtual. Um, delegates are going to be sent out ballots to um, vote on the nomination process in a couple of weeks, um, and and so it's a different. It's definitely going to be different for both parties. I mean, you know, most conventions, if not all of them, I'm, I'm sure Larry remember 2012 here. You know, it was crowded. It was secure all over the place, and it was it was quite it was it was it was quite a time. Um, but but I do but I do think, and just from somebody who has worked at a national convention. And seeing all that goes into it, I really think that um, decisions have to be made pretty soon on how this is going to work because the city has to get ready for it. If the president is going to be nominated in another city, that city has to get prepared for that because a lot of security that goes with the president of the United States coming into your city on top of the pandemic. So we need to make sure that um, we know what's going on quickly, not because of a political issue, more of a security and preparation issue. Gentlemen, thank you both. Appreciate it. Uh, good to see you both again back here on Flashpoint. Take care. Thanks a lot. Tornadoes, the tropical storm, severe weather is extreme weather, and we're here to keep you safe and to help you navigate your day. The First Warn team is there for you, no matter the conditions and the location. We're in your hand with the WCNC Weather app, and we'll always be there on WCNC Charlotte. So wake up, plan your day and your life. The First Warn Storm Team will be there for you.